Hey, beautiful people. I'm Sarah, and welcome to my show, Ignited by Inner Beauty, a podcast that is setting the world on fire with body positivity, female empowerment, and self-love. If you need some feel-good vibes and a reminder of just how beautiful you truly are, then you came to the right place. I'm so excited to share what's in store for you today. and welcome to episode 19 of Ignited by Inner Beauty. I'm so excited that you can join us today. We have a really great episode with a very dear friend of mine. Uh, But before I get into our interview, I wanted to kick it off by talking about something that definitely has been on my mind a lot lately. And if you follow me on social media, has something that... um, We were talking a lot about in one of the posts or a post that I made that got a lot of traction. Um, So something that came into my mind um, that I've been seeing lately is the concept of really before and after weight loss pictures. So I've seen a few on social media, just from other people I know and posting these and, um, you know, just looking to celebrate this accomplishment of weight loss. Um... So this is, you know, really tough for, because when I see these, you know, I, I, um, really my heart goes out to them. I don't want to, you know, I identify as a very anti-diet person. I, we know that, um, you know, diets don't work. They can really harm people. They can, um, you know, they typically just result in people gaining the weight back. Um, and, uh, you know, they're really just can, can be very harmful and can result in really damaging behaviors. So when people lose weight like this, and typically it's just in the short term, um, and then they're looking to celebrate it, it just hurts my heart that they're celebrating shrinking their bodies when we can celebrate so much more um, than just how we look. I think it really um, it really kind of breaks my heart to see that. Um, and I don't blame the people um, who engage in this, but I really just blame diet culture and a society that we live in that values beauty standards. Um, and it's really hard to break out of that. But I, um, you know, <laughs> there was a lot of debate on social media as I talked about really not liking um, to see these before and after weight loss pictures. And really, um, I encourage people not to post them because I think they can be really harmful and promote a really dangerous idea that we're more valuable when we're smaller, that people should congratulate us and love us more because we're in smaller bodies. So I just really think that, um, you know, they're very damaging overall. Um, and I, you know, thought of a few different points here of, of when I, when I think about this and what I think they're promoting. And the first one being that they can be very triggering to people who are recovering from eating disorders or those people overall who just struggle with their body image. Um, and also just all, I would argue that all people, it can be very triggering to, um, to, to see these people who are um, not only you know showing themselves at a lower weight, but just saying that you know it's better for them because again this doesn't this doesn't mean that they're healthier. It literally we don't know you know people can lose weight, but we don't know why if we don't really know what they went through. You know it can be through an illness, through a very restrictive diet. Um, it could be depression or anxiety, you know, people can lose weight for all different reasons. So it doesn't necessarily just mean just because you're in a thinner, thinner body means you're healthy. Um, and I think that especially, um, for some types of 
people who have struggled with um, disordered eating and who have needed to gain weight to recover, it is so hard to see, um, you know, people still celebrating that um, smaller body and still valuing it. Like, look at me, I should be valued more. Please congratulate me because I am thinner. I think just promoting that is really damaging. Um, and then also, um, thinking about, you know, the kind of the second point here being that, as I said, 95 to 98% of intentional weight loss attempts end up with people gaining all the way back. And one third of people gain even more weight back than from when they initially began dieting or restricting or, or, you know, intentionally, um, taking measures to lose this weight. So when these people likely do gain the weight back in the longer term, probably, you know, it could be, it could be in a shorter term, but, you know, at least within three to five years, chances are if they're part of that 95 to 98%, they will have gained the weight back. And then they'll look back at it and, you know, I, I can only imagine just the, the harm that they feel of people saying how great they look and they're commenting congrats and, and all of this, um, you know, celebratory, uh, commentary for being in a smaller body. And this is just, you know, if you can imagine people just gaining the weight back and then looking back on those comments of saying, oh my gosh, was I just valued more as a person for being in a smaller body? Um, it's just so, it can just be so damaging. I, I really um, hate to, to think of it like that, but I think it can just really, really be harmful for um people to first of all think like that, think that we are more worthy and more valuable for being in a smaller body, which is just simply untrue and a very damaging belief. Um, and then also just hard for people to look back and, um, you know, when they likely do gain the weight back and, and see those comments again of people celebrating that. Um, and I know, especially for people who have struggled with disordered eating, and then um, you know they talk about these before and after pictures, and they were saying, you know, people have um, I've heard many people, you know, uh, talk about how you know I was so unhealthy then, or I just wasn't eating, or um, you know, everyone thought, oh, you look so healthy, you look so great, when they truly weren't. So um, if we just we don't know why people will. Uh, you know, how people lose this weight and whatever, and, and it can be really, really harmful. Um, and that, you know, leads into the next point of just being that um, just because they say, or maybe the person says, I'm healthier now, like, what do you really mean when you say healthier? Because often it just means thinner. There is, you know, there's a reason why we post pictures of, you know, before and after pictures of people losing um, weight. It's because they just, you know, currently um, uh, are more similar to the beauty standards of today, but that does not mean that they are healthier. You know, if people truly cared about bragging about their health they would post like their blood work or something you know that is can you know perhaps you could say that's just more determinant of uh of their health not these just simply images of their weight because it really does not it just doesn't show that and it's a really um it's something that i wish more people would just you know believe and and know to be true that you cannot um, tell how healthy or how unhealthy someone is based on their weight. And in the end, like, does that mean you should value them less because they're, even if someone is unhealthy, like, of course not. We would never say that about anyone who, 
has cancer or suffering an illness, but for some reason people think that they can, um, you know, be fat phobic and be under the guise of health. Like, oh, I'm just helping them or I'm, I'm, you know, telling them to be healthy or I'm helping them. No, people who are, you know, rude or fat phobic, um, or make, you know, harmful comments are simply just being, um, just, just body shaming and it is not okay. Um, and it is not helping your health because you don't know about someone's health. Um, and as we know, a lot of the uh, a lot of the harm or a lot of the um, uh, I would say I guess like unhealthy symptoms that come along with obesity, the obesity quote unquote obesity epidemic, um, really have to do more with weight stigma than with actually just extra weight on you, um, and also can can be caused because of weight cycling or losing weight and gaining weight and losing weight and gaining weight. That's weight. That's actually really unhealthy and it can cause a lot of negative health symptoms. Um, so, uh, you know, yes, there is a correlation between, um, negative health outcomes and, uh, weighing more. Um, however, all of that can really be summed up to weight stigma and also, uh, you know, that encompassing fat phobia and how people in larger bodies are often treated worse at doctor's offices. You know, they're not, um, uh, they're typically told to lose weight when, you know, they're not, not given the proper care, you know, um, and again, you know, I think it's just ridiculous that doctors are telling people to lose weight because there's no, you know, any type of restrictive diet or any type of intentional weight loss has a 95 to 98% chance of failing. So, um, I know I'm going on a tangent here, but so much to say about this and I feel very passionate about it. Um, and about this injustice, about discrimination against people in larger bodies. Um, so, you know, all in all, it just comes down to, you know, people, um, sharing this because it's truly about vanity. You know, it's, I know that people want to perhaps like celebrate the hard work that they've done, but I just cannot get on board. I will not celebrate somebody who is likely starving themselves or just restricting all this food when, um, you know, I know how damaging that can be to your mind, to your mental health, to restrict food so much, um, and really just be miserable. Um, so I can't get on board with celebrating these before and after pictures. And I encourage you not to post them if, um, that's something that's happened to you. Um, and also, um, to not comment on them, like congrats or whatever it may be. Um, I think I've, I've been in some interesting discussions this week about how to handle them. Um, if you see somebody posting before and after pictures, whether to ignore them or, or say something like, um, you know, you're beautiful before and after you're always have been beautiful saying something like that, or maybe messaging them privately to talk more about this. Um, but you know, that is, that's up to you. I think that there's a lot of different ways people can handle it and can definitely depend on how well you know the person, how receptive they may be to um, perhaps an anti-diet message um, and just, um, you know, kind of uh, disengaging the relationship between weight and worth, um, which I think is really harmful. But um, 
I just hope that, you know, we can use social media to celebrate, um, you know, real, our, our true life goals and achievements. You know, I, I think about what that may look like. And instead of posting a before and after weight loss, think about somebody who has, you know, graduated from college or gotten a new job or, left a toxic relationship, whatever, you know, there's a lot of things that we can celebrate. Um, and, uh, I think that we can do that, you know, when we're truly celebrating things that are at the root, just good things versus, um, you know, celebrating something that at the root of it is just celebrating, um, you know, just celebrating beauty standards, you know, uh, more confining to beauty standards and, um, uh, that's really it. You know, it doesn't, it's not really celebrating health. As I said, it's, it's, um, celebrating quote unquote hard work. It is, it is hard work, but that hard work is like, is damaging. It's restrictive eating. It's disordered eating. It can be gym obsessions. It can be, you know, skipping birthday parties or social events to make sure you maintain this rigid diet to keep that weight off. It can be only thinking about food because you're just obsessing about it and you're not getting enough. Um, it just, you know, I truly believe that people can be healthy at any size. Um, and also that we can get our lives back and we can truly live and live joyful, meaningful lives and focus on our true passions when we stop focusing on, um, you know, beauty standards and stop focusing on, um, you know, this desire to lose weight. I think, um, obviously everyone has the freedom to do what they want, but I do feel passionately about this because I think, um, it's often perceived as such a good thing when people don't know the other side of it, that it, that dieting and restricting food and attempting to lose weight can be really, really damaging in the end. So, um, I definitely want to get that message across and, um, I encourage you to use social media to, um, post about how you're following your dreams. And I hope that your dreams are, you know, things that you, um, wanted to do when you were little, right? <laughs> um, whatever that is of becoming, you know, a, a, a career that you would like or, or something else, but you rarely hear girl, little girls, you know, and it would break my heart to hear a little girl saying that their dream is to lose weight. So, um, we are just destined for so much more and, um, you cannot live. I know I'm filling up with cliches here, but you can't live a full life on an empty stomach. So, um, so my friends, please feed yourself and be kind to yourself and to one another, um, and follow your dreams. Focus on, uh, what fills you up, focus on your inner beauty. Um, you are so loved and worthy at the size you are at, not at, um, you know, not whatever many pounds from now, right now you are loved and worthy. So, um, on that note, um, hopefully on that very upbeat note, we have a very upbeat guest speaker who will be joining us today. Um, Michelle Nista is my very dear friend and um, a roommate in college at Fordham. Um, she is such a fantastic friend and a beautiful person inside and out. She uh, you know, came here and, and talked so much about all of the social justice work um, she is doing and has done in the past and how she's really dedicated her life to, you know, continuing to learn about social justice and how she can really engage in it. So there is so, so much that she had that was so great to say. It was, it was really wonderful talking with her and I know you're going to enjoy it. So without further ado, here is Michelle.
Well, thank you so much, Michelle, for joining me on the show today. I'm so excited to have you here. Uh, why don't you start us off by introducing yourself and saying how you're ignited by inner beauty? Sure, absolutely. Well, first and foremost, thank you so much for having me on the show. Longtime listener. Uh, and so <laughs> I'm very excited to be on an episode as well. Truly, truly an honor. Um, so as you said, my name is Michelle. I currently work at Fordham University in their fundraising department. Uh, obviously, Fordham is very close to both of our hearts. That's where we first met each other as students, as freshmen there, which is so crazy to look back on now. Um, so that's a little bit about me and kind of how I've gotten to know you and, you know, shared in this journey of being ignited by inner beauty. Uh, so great first question. Um, I think it's, it really has been a journey for me of what that looks like, but I think what I always come back to is that I am ignited by the beauty of others and the beauty of all that's around me. Um, I'm happiest when I'm working with and for others um, and really just like getting that energy from other people, what gets them excited and having them share that excitement with me and then vice versa, being able to share what makes me happy and excited and um, all of those like good emotions. That's when I feel the most beautiful. And that's when I feel the, the beautiful energy in the room, if that doesn't sound too hippy dippy, <laughs> but it's true. I love it. I love it. And when you said like for and with, I'm like, oh, that Jesuit tenant men, men and women for and with others. Like, I love it. The Jesuits Absolutely. taught us well. <laughs> it sticks with you. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, um, so tell me a little bit about um, just how you're empowered as a woman and really how you, some of those causes that you really care about. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think there's going to be a common theme of this episode. It's probably going to be my Fordham experience. Um, so I think going to college really changed a lot of that for me. I remember in high school, I didn't quite get feminism, didn't quite why, get why there was a need for it and a purpose for that. And of course, upon further reflection of that, and you know, thankfully I'm not in that same place, I, I wouldn't want to still be in high school uh, or in that mindset. But I think I realized like the great amount of privilege I had to be expressing that. Um, and then when I went to college and, you know, heard from other people's lived experiences, read material about it, watched documentaries about it, I realized like really the importance of feminism in our world and so many other social movements as well. And really the, those on the front lines fighting for social justice. So I think, um, like I said, it definitely took me a while to, to realize. And then once I did kind of open my eyes to that and become a little bit more familiar with the material, I was like, oh, okay, I can see how that comment was like, you know, a little bit backhanded. And mm -hmm. I can see how I am not, you know, being my most honest or authentic self. And maybe I am being held back by the norms of society and like kind of being fit into that box. And once I started reflecting a little bit more there, um, that's when I realized like what it meant to be empowered as a woman and how fortunate I was to have so many strong women in my life, inspiring me and influencing me and really setting me up for success in a way where like, I didn't question whether or not I could do things because I was a girl, a woman, young woman, whatever you want to categorize um, me as in growing up, but, um, 
Yeah. So I think like over time, I realized like how amazing it is to be surrounded by those women and to have them in my life as really role models and guiding me in that way. And that I can't take that for granted. I have to like be actively aware of that and hopefully set that same example for our young women today and, you know, build them up and empower them in the same way. So that was a very long-winded answer and I (laughs) went in several different directions. Um, But really the upshot I would say is like, it has been a journey and I'm still Mm -hmm. on that journey and I'm still learning as we go along. And some days I get it right. And some days I learn something new. So all all part of it though. Totally. Lifelong journey of learning. I feel like I'm still, you know, opening my eyes to things when other, you know, people's different experiences, you know, our voice and, um, like other than mine. And it, yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a long journey, but I'm glad that, you know, Fordham was kind of the, the starting point for you there. And, and what, what would you say? Cause I, I know you were um, a sociology major. So would you say that most of those like learning moments happen like in classes with like friends or in clubs or kind of like all the above, or there's some like key moments there for you that like opened your eyes to social justice and feminism and, you know, other, other people's experiences. Definitely. I think um, the sociology classes helped me to put some language to the thoughts and feelings that I was having. And um, I think that helped me understand the concepts in a much deeper way. Um, Another theme I'm probably going to keep coming back to is intersectionality, which like is definitely an academia world that's kind of word, excuse me, that's kind of sneaking into our day to day, which I'm so happy to see because it is an essential part of the conversation. Um, But I think like that really opened my eyes to so much and kind of the layers and nuance um, behind so many social justice movements, including feminism, um, and really where that intersects with so many other movements. And then I think a lot of it was also just the the peers that I was surrounded by um, being a lot more comfortable with the, the term feminism and um, kind of what that lived experience looks like. And, uh, yeah, I think like that totally shifted the meaning. I feel like that was a very big thing when we were in high school was like putting a positive connotation to the word feminism. And again, I think like, I definitely was someone who needed that kind of reframing. And now, like, if you want to unpack all of that, like, why did it have such a (laughs) negative connotation previously? You know, that's layered in, years and years of oppression there. And I don't know, it's just interesting when I kind of go down the rabbit hole and kind of spiral out of control. And that's again, like where the sociology comes in of, um, I think it's like, once you pull out one thread, the whole thing kind of unraveled in this really, I don't know how to describe it. Sometimes it's, it feels sad and unmanageable and that kind of like, how do we ever solve this problem? Mm-hmm. Um, but in other ways, like it gives me a great deal of hope that in improving one thing, it's going to have a domino effect and ultimately improve others. So I think it really was like a very holistic um, approach of like being in the academic spheres and, you know, kind of learning about these concepts in theory and then being a part of clubs and organizations and surrounding myself with those communities that were really putting the theory into action and you know, like, okay, let's start solving these problems. Like it's one thing to learn about them and that's an essential starting point, but let's really move forward and like try to make the world a little bit better off. Yeah. I think that's, that's such a great point. I think it's so important too. Like I, I, 
also feel like Fordham really educated us in in a really great way. I feel like I learned so much and my eyes were open to so many levels of social justice. And then it was kind of like the second part of that. It's like, okay, now we're aware. Now it's like, okay, what are we going to do about that? (laughs) Now it's like, that's a tough question, but also like so important. And I think they go, and it's important that they came hand in hand, you know, it's like, okay, we really need to understand these issues. And then it's like, how can we best you know, listen to the communities who need them or, you know, what are the best next steps? It's, it's tough, but important. Absolutely. And I think like, that's something I've been really grateful to see in the past few years is that information becoming a lot more accessible. And I shouldn't say just in the past few years, I think it was out there. And, you know, I don't know if I was necessarily looking at the time, but I think things like social media and of course, like the internet as a whole have made these resources a lot more easily accessible so that you don't have to have a college degree. Like this is not, you know, I happen to learn it in college, but it doesn't need to just be something for higher education by any means. And it's great to start to see that kind of like, like I said, become a more part of our day to day. And I think that's when we're really going to start seeing solutions when, everyone can educate themselves on this, um, whether in a higher ed institution or whether it is your major or you're Mm -hmm. in a STEM field or whatever the case may be, the information is out there and um, we can all just move forward with, with more understanding. And I think that's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Was there any, I'm curious because I, I feel like we had so many um, like great conversations in college too. Like anytime we're like, oh my gosh, like this happened in class or we we're talking about this today. And it was like so much fun. Was there, are there any of those that you still, those like aha moments that you still think about um, from like Fordham or, um, or even more recently that you were like, wow, like my eyes are now open to this. Oh, totally. That's such a great question. Um, I think like certain courses that I took really had that. Uh, one was modern American social movements. That was a sociology class I took in my sophomore year, I want to say. Um, and I really didn't know much about social movements and kind of really the depth behind them. Um, and I think just like I said, kind of the life cycle of a social movement from starting grassroots and gaining momentum, gaining some traction, gaining some attention, uh, seeing it get really big and then kind of seeing sometimes the message get watered down or the mission of the movement get watered down a little bit and having to like reevaluate and start again. And kind of, like I said, I think a cycle is the best way to describe it. And it's one of those questions, like I've never had an answer to it's definitely come up in other sociology classes that I've had. Um, But I think like those moments of, again, I go back to like, it's a journey. There's going to be some push and pull and it's kind of a natural part of that type of work. Uh, but knowing that it is like a lifelong journey and that there's always more to learn. There's always more to reevaluate. I think that is such an important lesson. Um, and then the other thing I will say is my sociological theory class. The professor was fantastic, but I think was one of the first people that like really helped me realize how interconnected everything was. Mm -hmm. And again, like going back to that idea of like, you pull one thread and there's like a cliche that I'm not saying properly, (laughs) Um, but everything kind of unravels from there. So I think like those two concepts are still two things that I sit with and still don't have answers to, but still thinking about. And I think that's, what's important, like kind of what sticks with you and what makes you curious and what keeps bringing you back to uh, those big questions. Yeah. I love, um, 
what you're saying too about like intersectionality because it's something I've been thinking about a lot, especially when um, like Kamala became VP and and you're like, oh, the first like woman of color as the vice president, and and I was like, this is this is awesome, like love to see it, so cool. But like we like when they're still like first first woman of color, first this like we're at we're like scratching the surface here because like you were saying about like intersectionality and all these um, also like about issues being related. It's like her experience as a woman of color is probably very different than other people's experience as a woman of color. Or maybe if they're, you know, whether it's from like a different socioeconomic background, whether, you know, um, immigration status, like, um, you know, even uh, like colorism that exists in the world, like the, literally the, you know, the, tone the color of your skin like um there's so like there's so much um that goes into it and like everyone's experiences are so different so I think that's like yeah it's definitely um an important topic to think about you know we can't just be like oh great like we're done like this is you know win for feminism and it's like we are just at the beginning (laughs) exactly exactly and I think um like that was such a, and I talk about like, again, in high school feeling like I didn't need feminism and the great privilege that came with saying that. And I think part of it was like not having the language of intersectionality and not looking at it in like a really in-depth way and feeling like it was sometimes so on the surface. Um, I don't know. It like just wasn't substantial mm-hmm. enough. And now being more educated on like what the movement really is, it's like, okay, like this is something I can get behind when there is like, when it's a more full conversation, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. So by no means do I have all the answers. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't want to come off in any way saying that I do, but um, I think like it's been really important lesson of, you know, like you said, it's not like, okay, we just because we had a win doesn't mean that it's over. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot more to be fighting for and, yeah, I think intersectionality is just an essential part of the conversation. And I can't imagine having the conversation without it. Honestly, that's really the upshot of it all. Yeah, no, completely. Um, something, something I'm curious to hear about as well is your experience with, um, like is experience with global outreach and go and like leading go project now and later. And, um, I know that's so focused on social justice and I feel like, uh, you were thinking so much about these things um, when, you know, or anyone is who, who does a global outreach pro- program at Fordham, um, just really uh, diving into the impact of going into communities, avoiding voluntourism, different things, like so much that's involved and so much prep work. I would love to hear um, about that experience um, that you did at Fordham. Yeah, absolutely. So um, my first project was down to Uh, Rutledge, Tennessee. And that was my sophomore year of college. And then my second project, which I led was uh, in New York City. So very close to home. That was my senior year of college. And then this year, I have the privilege to um, be a chaperone on the project for that's working with the community partner in the Bronx. And, um, you know, three very different roles in the project, Mm -hmm. and I'm getting very different things out of it, uh, which is always great to like still have that opportunity to grow and learn. But I think um, global outreach was definitely another factor in college that just like totally changed the way I viewed the world in the absolute best way. And to the credit of the global outreach program, I think it's a very self-aware program and recognizes 
its own faults in service and there are definitely a lot of problems with service and that's something that I've sat with and reflected on for quite some time and I think again it kind of goes back to this balancing act of short-term and long-term solutions and I think um, like I said there's a lot of inherent flaws to doing service you're creating if you're not careful uh, like a hierarchy of someone doing the service, serving someone else. It's kind of like this weird dichotomy and power structure. And um, I'm really grateful that I've seen the program change over the past few years in that approach. And really, um, I mean, just even the title is now the, the Center for Community Engaged Learning and what that means to learn with and from the community uh, really just makes it a more level interaction I think in practice like having been a participant that piece was always there and it's nice that they're now putting words to that and really calling attention to that and really being intentional about that relationship that it's not me going in and quote unquote solving all the problems which I can't do um in a short amount of time in a long amount of time I just I I cannot do it (laughs) um and it's it would be foolish of me to act like I could um but the fact that I am learning is so essential and I think really listening to the needs of the community and immersing yourself in that is such an important part of this work that we're doing and the only way that we're going to be able to move forward. So I think for me, um, like I said, it's something I've reflected on and sat with a lot. Um, and what I always come back to is kind of like, what's the alternative? And to me, the alternative is doing nothing. And I'm not really happy with that alternative and maybe there's a lot there to unpack too, right? Like that I feel the need to solve problems um, that maybe don't have solutions. But I think that um, I, I wanna connect with my community and I wanna learn from people's lived experiences. Um, and I, I think it's important to recognize like that there are problems with that. There's no like perfect mm-hmm. answer. Um, otherwise we probably would have found it and been doing it right now. So I think it's just recognizing the flaws that are there and trying to minimize them as much as with, as with, is within my control. So um, I think, yeah, Go has definitely revealed to me the complexities of what social justice work is um, and yeah, like the role that I play in it. Um, and I've grown a lot in that and I think I'm, I'm still growing. I know I'm still growing and just always grateful to have the opportunities to do that. Mm. Yeah, I love how uh, of what you said about how global outreach focuses so much on education and learning and just like immersion. And I think as we've been saying this whole time, like just opening our eyes sometimes to different issues, different experiences can do so much. Um, but yeah, the uh, the other thing I was thinking about was how we talked a lot about like the two feet of social justice, like direct service and social change. And it's like, even though, you know, with direct service being like volunteering for a day, doing a park cleanup, like serving at a homeless, you know, kitchen or something. And then, um, you know, social change being like more like policy-based, like uplifting um, people who have been oppressed. So it's like, yeah, that sometimes that like direct service is, it's like, okay, like we help, you know, you're with a community today and you're doing something to, um, support or you're volunteering, but then it's like, what, 
now and you're, and you know, it's like, there are so many larger systems here that need to be fixed, but, but they're both, that's why like there are two feet, like they're both important. It's kind of like, like you said, like, what's the alternative, like do nothing. And then, you know, that's, that's not going to help either. We can't sit around and wait for the world's to be a more equal place. Like sometimes it's very needed to do that direct service. Exactly. And I think in my experience with like those direct service opportunities, that's when I really am able to listen to those in the community and hear what their needs are. Mm. And I think that's so such an essential part of the social change component. Like, who am I to walk in and say, like, this is the big solution, like, this is the wall we need to pass and without actually knowing without actually being there and, and listening. Um, And then, you know, at the same, I guess, also, let's keep it nice and simple. Also, um, you know, sometimes you speak with the community partners that you're working with, or um, so whether that be like the nonprofit or the the people that you're working with directly. Um, but a lot of times they share like they're short on volunteers and they don't have like that consistent volunteer base. So I don't think it's all bad. I think that there are definitely right. flaws to it. Um, but I think like the need is there and it's, it's just important that we're listening to what the need is before we determine that. And before we, you know, make decisions based on that. So I think you're absolutely right. It's, it's an end statement. It's not an or statement. Right. Uh, and that's what I'm continuing to learn. Oh, awesome. I love it. I love what everything you do. You've like always been so dedicated to social justice and um, just really, I feel like, you're someone who like, it's, it's just always like on your mind and what you can do more of. So makes you so beautiful. <laughs> Very kind. Thank you. I, I've <laughs> learned from far better minds from me. Uh, so, but thank you. That's very nice. <laughs> um, and because I know how hard you work, uh, just at your job doing other volunteering stuff, how do you take care of yourself, uh, mind, body, soul, Yes. Um, great question, especially <laughs> in this year. Yes. Um, that has also been like a huge journey for me. And one that I think really started after I graduated from college. Um, as you know, I unexpectedly had a huge shift in post-grad plans and suddenly had like a lot of free time on my hands, which was something that I wasn't used to by any means. Um, And I had like nothing on my schedule, which was really frustrating at the time. Um, But upon speaking with friends and, you know, kind of thinking it over and it took some time. And again, some days were good and some days were bad. Uh, But I realized it was like a great opportunity to really set those guidelines for myself and like really see what it means like what self-care really means. I think previous to that, I approached it in the same way that like, I don't know, this was very much my logic in college with sleep of like, if I got three hours of sleep one night, I'd be fine if I got like 12 hours of sleep the next night. And it's not really transferable in that way (laughs) Um, as much as you tell yourself it is. And there are definitely days I still like play that rational, like I rationalize in that Mm -hmm. way and play that game in my own mind. Um, but I think I treated self-care the same way. I was like, if I have a whole day of self-care, like it, it'll be fine. It'll balance out the rest of it. 
Um, but then post-grad when I suddenly had all this free time on my hands and I could get like eight hours of sleep regularly and make sure I was drinking enough water and <laughs> kind of do all of those things on the checklist and like the things that your parents tell you to do when you kind of like roll your eyes when you're in high school um, and, and even college, let's be honest, for me at least, um, I can only speak for myself. But once I started doing all of those things, I was like, oh, wow, this like is making such a difference. Like I think a lot of times it's those little things um, and listening to my body and like what I need. And sometimes that means taking a nap and sometimes that means going on a walk and sometimes that means journaling and it's okay that it means different things um, Mm -hmm. on different days. I think a lot of times when I thought about like approaching self-care, it was like, okay, you have to journal every single day and this is going to be better. And then suddenly it's like just another stressor to your day, another thing that you need to handle. And Mm -hmm. um, I've tried to be better about like really listening to myself and thinking about okay, is it like I need to journal or maybe like I just need to hop on the phone and like call a friend and, you know, mm, talk to someone yeah. else who's there or, um, you know, maybe I just need to work out a little bit or maybe I need to drink more water. I can't tell you how many times it's I need to drink more water. So I think like it's definitely I'm getting there and I am grateful to have had that time and then to like kind of reframe everything else around that. Um, yeah, so I think I'm learning still Mm -hmm. and I'm getting there, but I think like that is something that I am proud of the progress that I've made and grateful that I have the time, which is really such a privilege, um, the time and the means to be able to, to do that and really practice self-care in those ways. Yeah, completely. And I, it's, it's so funny to like to hear that, like, I know, cause I know you even like myself, so many just like women, I feel like, and, and other people, of course, like thrive on productivity and we're like we must do it done and we must do everything to the max even if it's self-care like I'm gonna journal every day I'm gonna like and then it's another like you said it's another stressor like I it's just like funny it's almost like comical but it's also like really sad like we should honestly what you said like listen to our bodies and see what we need at the time absolutely absolutely and like I I still do it like the other like I don't know. I had this goal. I was like, I'm going to work out every day this week. And I was just so exhausted from work. I, it was just like, you know, busy week. And I like went and I just like almost fell over. I was like, okay, we're not doing this. Like, this is not, not the time of place. Um, and it was just kind of like, yeah, okay. Sometimes it's okay to not check things off the to-do list. Like mm-hmm. that's okay. Things change. Circumstances change. And yeah. Um, yeah, I think like being okay with that has been such a huge help and like really changing my mindset in that way. And just, yeah, I think mindset is a huge, huge piece of it as well. Just like setting realistic expectations for myself has been a great form of self-care. Yeah. I love that. And not checking things off the to-do list can be a form of (laughs) self-care. Totally. A hundred percent. One of my I feel like a line that I stole from you whenever we were in college and you had pushed something off, like that will be future Michelle's problem. And I love that. And I'm like, you know what? Sometimes that's a mentality we have to take. Like, like we can only do so much in a day. That's so funny. I literally just said that at work. I was like, that's future Michelle's problem. And I was talking to a colleague and I was like, you know what? Future Michelle really hates past Michelle, but current Michelle loves future Michelle. 
<laughs> Too good. So I, that logic has not, I haven't been able to shake that quite yet. <laughs> Sometimes it's not always bad. I could see it, you know, maybe like putting off an essay to the last minute or something, yeah. but, but, not which we me, never sorry, did, never. would never, <laughs> but, uh, but it can also be a great form of self-care in some ways. Um, so I want to know what is the thing that you love most about yourself? Oh, that's <laughs> such a tough question. Actually, no, I'm not going to say it's a tough question. <laughs> Good. I, I really like my sense of humor. I think it's an acquired taste. Um, <laughs> You know, as well as anyone, like I need an audience and like, I kind of won't stop making jokes until someone laughs and gives me that attention. But um, it's just, I don't know. That's when I feel like the most like myself uh, when I can like make jokes, I have a pretty dry sense of humor. I have a pretty dark sense of humor. So again, not for everyone that I get that. <laughs> um, but when I can make a joke and usually it's a joke just to make myself laugh. Like, I love that. I love laughing at myself and laughing along with other people. So yeah, I think, I think probably my sense of humor <laughs> totally or lack thereof, depending on who <laughs> no. you ask. No, we had so many laughs and still do just virtually, I still guess do. now, <laughs> but I love that. Such a good trait. <laughs> always makes you, you fun to be around <laughs> um and what was a time when you recently felt beautiful that's a good question I have so I grew up dancing my entire life as you know we spent many times <laughs> dancing together which is always fun and choreographing together um and just with the pandemic and everything like that I haven't really been able to do it as much but I've kind of just like set up my little studio quote unquote in my room and have gone into that a little bit more. And it just makes me feel so happy and makes me feel like really at home um, because I have been doing it for so long. And, you know, usually I'm used to being in a studio with like a full mirror and I can, you know, make sure I'm doing the stuff correctly or whatever the case may be. Um, But even without all of that, there's something like just internally where I feel like when I really do a step well, or like just really, you know, hit the mark in the right way. Um, that feels like really beautiful and it just gives me a great energy inside. I love that. I totally agree with uh, all the great, like the, just the good feels that dance gives me. And, uh, it was so much fun. I know like you sent me that video of like us dancing at college and just like, that's like what we would do on weekends. We're like, yeah, just like hang out in the studio at Fordham and just like put on a Lady Gaga song (laughs) and like choreograph a dance. And we just had so much fun. Like what a stress reliever too, you know, like made us feel great. And it was fun. (laughs) For sure. And it was so great to have someone to share that with, um, and who I knew like dance was so important to you as well. Um, and then especially like in our later years at college, um, when we weren't, well, I never was dancing in a group. I was not that good. Um, but when we were like really just doing it for ourselves, um, like I joke that I always need an audience, which is probably (laughs) rooted in my background in dance, but when we could just like go to the studio over the weekend, Mm -hmm. like you said, and just like have fun, throw some choreography out there and just kind of like be creative in that way. Um, Like just what, 
what great times <laughs> that sounds like so insincere but I mean it like with my yeah. whole heart like it was yeah. it was just the best and it was like a hundred percent for us and just like mm-hmm. to have a good time with with a friend yeah that's such a good point we truly were not doing it for anyone but ourselves <laughs> like we there was a lot of times it was just yeah and we would just the two of us and we would just be like dancing for like hours and it was just so fun and ugh. Yeah. Yeah. And then we film it and it would just like go to us. And that was it. Like it wasn't, (laughs) it wasn't anything beyond that, but then like I, I stumbled upon it however many years Mm. later and it still brings me a great amount of joy. Oh, so good. Such good mems. Someday we'll be able to see each other in person and dance together. (laughs) So good. All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing everything that you have, just your experiences, your journey, all that you've learned. Um, Is there any last words or takeaways that you want to leave with the audience? Oh, um, well, thank you so much. I mean, it was great. It was great chatting with you and, you know, chatting through this. I think um, the biggest thing that I would say is just like, and I know I keep repeating it, but like, I am still learning. I'm still journeying. I am here and I'm who I am because of the people around me. And, um, I am so grateful for that. And these are just my opinions and my thoughts. And, you know, like I said, I'm still learning, so they may not be perfect, but, um, just grateful that I'm able to go on this journey and to share in it with you. So thank you. Thank you so much, Michelle. I love you. (laughs) I love you too. Thank you. You beautiful person. Thank you for being on the show. (laughs) My pleasure. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me on this week's episode of Ignited by Inner Beauty. I hope this episode served as a reminder of just how beautiful and worthy you are. If you enjoyed today's episode, please hit subscribe, provide a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and share this episode with a friend. For more information about Ignited by Inner Beauty, please go to ignitedbyinnerbeauty.com and sign up for my email list to keep up to date on new blog posts and podcast episodes. If you'd like to support my mission of empowering women, you can go to patreon.com slash ignitedbyinnerbeauty and receive some exclusive content and giveaways. If you're not already following me on social media, please follow me on Instagram at ignitedbyinnerbeauty and Twitter at ignitedbeauty. Thank you again for joining me and please tune in for the next episode.